Did you know Bold Commerce has some of the best apps to increase the size of almost all your orders? Maybe you're looking to run store-wide sales with countdown timers. Boom! Bold Discounts will run your scheduled promos with just a few clicks, no coupon codes required. Or maybe you're looking to maximize average order value. You could count on Bold Upsell, Bold Motivator, or Bold Bundles. With Bold Upsell, you can offer product upgrades, cross-sales, or complimentary products as free gifts. With Bold Bundles, you could boost average order value by bundling a few products or an entire collection so that your customers can mix and match items to get a discount. Now, hey, when was the last time you made an online purchase and saw a message like, spend 15 more dollars for free shipping? With Bold Motivator, you could do that same thing and more. Offer free shipping, free product, or even a percentage off the entire order. Pick and choose which apps are best for you, or use them all to boost conversion at an average order value. With free bold apps for 14 days, there's no excuse not to try and boost your sales this year. To get this special offer, go to boldcommerce.com slash Kurt. That's boldcommerce.com slash K-U-R-T. Today on the unofficial Shopify podcast, we are joined by a pair of serial entrepreneurs focused on the game space, starting first with a Kickstarter years ago in the before times that successfully funded a game you may have heard of because it went everywhere, it was in Target and Walmart, called Utter Nonsense that achieved rapid, rapid success. And now they have gone on to pass those business ventures and on to a new one involving pickleball. Oh my gosh, pickleball, so hot right now. <laughs> and so I, I want to hear from them that story of how you successfully launch a, a card game, which really popular then, still popular now on Kickstarter and, and what that journey looked like. But more importantly, as you know, many years later, as they launch something new, in the works now, as we speak, what are the differences there? What lessons have they learned and how are they going to apply those? So I welcome to the show, Tim Swindle and Scott Brown, uh, except I forgot. I'm your host, Kurt Elster. Tech nasty. So please, uh, Tim, Scott, how you doing? Kurt, thanks for having us on. Nice to meet you. My pleasure. All right. So we had a card game, utter nonsense. What year was that? I was 2015, something, something like that. So, all right, so 2015, that's like really like peak Kickstarter, maybe like a little later on Kickstarter, but it's still this really exciting novel thing. How did that go? How much money did we raise on Kickstarter and how much heartburn did you get? <laughs> so, uh, so this was a, a, you know, a passion project idea I had um, that was a game that we've been playing at Friends Lake Houses for several years and how it came to be, just a quick backstory uh, was I'd read an article in Inc. Magazine that covered Cards Against Humanity and, you know, very popular, uh, you know, party game that, that had launched. And I was from Chicago and they were from Chicago and just found it very interesting of how they basically laid out their path to success. And I, I read this article and I was like, you know what? I have a game that I've been playing with some friends over the past couple of years. Like, I think I could take this and take it to market. At the time, I was an entrepreneur working in the software space um, and just wanted to do this as a, as a side hustle. And uh, they had done Kickstarter. So I was like, seems easy enough. That's what I'm going to do. Um, as, you're, as you're alluding to, it's not nearly as easy as it looks. Um, yeah. Well, you know, we two a, thing, a, yeah. A few things there. Number one, I love that you said 
you essentially saw their success with that, realized you were doing, you had a similar thing or something that like fit in that space or need and which is, you know, party game, irreverent card party game. Uh, and you said, why not me? Those are like three magic words that I think kicked off a lot of entrepreneurial journeys. Why not me? And then from there, of course, what helps you is not knowing what you don't know. Like if you know how hard it is, like the, the difficulty of the, the mountain you're about to climb, you might talk yourself out of it. But when you went Kickstarter, how hard could that be? Like that you have just, you're going to start it and then be too far into it to realize maybe I, this is, this was more than I bit off more than I could chew, but yeah, ultimately it worked out, right? No risk, no reward. Ignorance is bliss sometimes when starting a new company, uh, especially in a, in a vertical or in a, in a you know, genre that you're not familiar with. Uh, so yes, we so had you, had, well, you were, you owned a business at the time already. Yeah. I was a partner at a software company. Very different. You know, this was a VC backed cash burning, big team software, uh, very different from a bootstrapped physical card game. You know, I didn't know the first thing <laughs> about the toying game space. And so every, there was a lot of Google searching going on those days. All right. It's well, tell me what it run me through utter nonsense. I, sure. We, I'm sure by this point we've all played our share of these, these style of card games. Yeah. So, uh, so you had two sets of cards, you had, um, phrases like funny, silly phrases, and you had accents and accent could be like British, uh, pirate. Uh, the first version we came out with was adult. So like orgasm was a version <laughs> of an accent. So you'd have these cards and you flip over, you know, pirate, let's say is, is the, is the accent for the round and everyone has to go around with their pirate voice and say whatever card, you know, they have in their hand. So it's like, I am 80, uh, you know, and just, and whoever, and there's one person's the judge and just determines who the winner is. So very subjective, very silly, fun party game. That does sound fun. If I'm honest, that's pretty good. <laughs> uh, so that was the concept. Uh, and, you know, so launching on Kickstarter, very modest goal of about $15,000. We did, we hit that just barely, uh, but it was our first win. And that's, uh, you know, that got the momentum going. We proved the concept. Uh, there's enough people out there that, you know, believed in it. And um, shortly after that is how I met Scott. Uh, so Scott um, had, had owned and just, he had, he'd owned a company uh, retailer called Marvel's The Brain Store and uh, was introduced to Scott through a mutual friend. And he had saw that we were successful on Kickstarter and liked the concept and uh, decided to bring it into his stores. The little, little bit of a, of a backstory here is, when I went into this, you know, I was trying to copy the blueprint of Cards Against Humanity and they had shunned retailers. They were only direct to consumer. So I thought that's what I was going to do. And so I was very apprehensive about working with a retailer, but it was also like, ah, like just need the win, you know? And so decided to work with Scott. And what I realized very quickly was that because of Cards Against Humanity's immense popularity and them shunning retailers who were desperate to carry the game, they had this big void in their stores for other irreverent board games that didn't exist because the big players didn't want to touch that genre, you know, the, the Hasbro's of the world, et cetera. So it had to be these like independent publishers. And so once I kind of realized that, then I embraced retail. And had you, were you resistant to retail because you, that, I mean, like yes, the, the big one that you were modeling yourself after your inspiration was cards. And so you went, well, like, you know, work for them. And I don't know, I'm new to this. I don't know what I'm doing. So you, you followed that model. And what was the thing where you went, you said you needed a win. What was it where you went like, all right, 
let's give this a shot. Or did you just realize like, hey, maybe these guys are, are missing something here? Or that, to your point, they unintentionally created this void and demand. You know, so working with Scott was like, he was local to Chicago. I was able to meet him in person. Um, there wasn't so many stores, so it felt low risk. And I just, I, I immediately clicked with Scott, felt very comfortable working with him. Um, the biggest change or the biggest shift in my, uh, you know, approach uh, was I was shortly then, about a month after we had launched on Kickstarter, contacted by the buyer at Target. And they were interested in carrying the game. And that was a whole different, you know, uh, I just was not ready for that. And so that process became very interesting for us. Um, because at first I said no. And so ultimately you did end up uh, with this card game in Target and Walmart. Yeah. So through a series of saying no, typically, as, as I soon found out, buyers at Target are not used to being told no. <laughs> and this buyer in particular, who's now become a good friend, uh, both Scott and I, uh, Mark, he made it worth my while to say yes. Uh, you know, they've got a lot of leverage that they can, a lot of levers they can pull to help something be successful in their stores with end caps and, you know, marketing dollars, all these things, all these terms, quite frankly, that I wasn't familiar with. We'd be on calls with the buyers at Target and I'm literally Googling because they're talking about, hey, we can give you an end cap. I had never heard of an end cap in my life. And, uh, and so uh, finally, you know, said yes, just because they, they really made it uh, uh, hard for me to say no. All right, now, so if someone's listening and like Target is, their phone is ringing and it says like Target buyer on the caller ID. Should they tell them no once and then see if they like, cause they want that end cap or like just take the win. Scott, you want to take this one? I mean, I, now Tim's story highlights the shifting dynamic of the toy industry, which is it used to be, and maybe still is a little bit that everyone is at the mercy of two big players, Target and Walmart. And you're really at the mercy of their moods. I have this like this story of working at this giant toy and game manufacturer. So I started as a retailer that was acquired by a big manufacturer. And I was working at this manufacturer and we'd worked for a year on a new game. We were so excited to present to this buyer. And, you know, we honestly had built out the showroom. I think we spent $50,000 on this showroom display for this game. You know, like it had this little door, you would knock on it, it would open mechanically, a dog would come out. It was like beautiful. And the buyer comes in, the buyer's like, I'm grumpy. I had a bad night's sleep last night. I stayed up way too late. She's like, you can show me this stuff, but I am just not in the mood for it today. And we're like, all right, well, like this is our shop. We show her. She's like, it's fine. I don't know. Come back to me later. I don't know. And she left. The head of sales comes back in and he's like, tear the display out. We're not going forward with the product. It's dead. And you know, that is like... That's a year's worth of work. And I think well over $100,000 worth of, of money spent towards this idea. And that is, that is the dynamic. And I'd say still is the dynamic for, for many companies of the toy and game industry. It's pitch, pitch, pitch. It's build up something, pitch to the buyer. If the buyer says no at Target and Walmart, the product's toast. So Tim lucked into this. He lucked into the situation where a buyer came to him asking. And I you know, it's a funny thing, like Tim sort of like he got into my stores one, I think other buyers were paying attention to what I carried, we were a little bit of, of a tastemaker. But then also, I mean, Tim, correct me on this story a little bit, but his sister was working for him on the business, she was tasked with this job of getting PR for the business. And she got a, a 
PR piece in a publication in the UK. And Tim's like, we don't even sell in the UK, but okay, like, good job. And <laughs> as it happens, the target buyer read that publication, saw his game, and got excited. So it was like these sort of dual paths of getting into a taste-making specialty retailer, plus getting a listing in a publication that got Tim this early win with Target. I think the lesson learned is you just don't know where your wins are going to come from. So take them when they're there. Um, I, you know, the question is, the question you posed is, would we say no to Target if they came knocking on our current product? And I'd say, probably not. <laughs> I probably wouldn't be brave enough to do that. Like one example is this morning, we got an email from a retailer saying we want to carry your product. And I texted Tim with just a bunch of exclamation points. And he texted me back an expletive laden like response back like, oh my word, this is getting real. I mean, we're going to say yes to this retailer. But what we've done a little bit is we've built up some demand first. And I think that's, I think the big lesson we learned is you don't want to feel desperate with these re retailers. You don't want to come begging at their doorstep. You want them to come to you a little bit. And that's what's happened with this. It's like we built a website. We've started to build a social media presence. Somehow this buyer at this big retailer has come across our listing and has reached out to us. And that just shifts the dynamic a little bit. It's no longer this like, please, please, please. It's them coming to us and saying, hey, we would like to carry your product. And then we have, we have leverage. It's a long answer to your short question. No, it, it makes sense. Um, I think, it, you know, in part, when when Tim said no, I think that spoke to you not knowing what you don't know, but also like unintentionally that like he ended up flexing on this guy. Uh, and then at the same time, there's this concept out there uh, that I heard a TED talk about. It's called luck sale. Like, can you be lucky? Maybe you can make yourself lucky in that you could do things that make opportunities more likely to appear for you. And we just heard it happen. You said, all right, I got this PR this PR piece in a, a UK magazine where no one could buy my thing. But that buyer saw it, right? And so you don't know what opportunities are going to come to you by the things that you you put out there and create. So I kind of love that idea. You have this, this six, modest, successful Kickstarter that lets you take this idea uh, and, and grow this business. So you know you have something. You have it in Scott's stores. He has a, ser a series of local regional stores in greater Chicagoland? Uh, 40 stores across the U.S. We are coast to coast. Right, very good. Yeah. That's, uh, that's 40 more store retail locations than I have. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then after that, then you get Target, then Walmart, and then you sell this thing? Yeah. So um, ran it for a couple of years, and um, eventually, you know, we had a few different versions that we had launched and it just caught the attention of, of some of the, the bigger players that, uh, you know, want, were interested in acquiring it. And so I, um, I healed those calls and uh, one of them in particular was, was pretty hot for it and just decided it was best to, uh, to part ways. You were happy with your acquisition? I was, yeah. So it was, it was acquired by a company called Play Monster. They're a PE backed uh, kind of mid-tier toy and game company based in, in, in Wisconsin. Um, the style of my game was very us centric, so we weren't a good fit for call it like the Hasbro's of the world who are looking for a widget that they can put into their international distribution system and have it everywhere. 
right? Um, this was a very like US centric based game. And so uh, PlayMonster in particular is a, is a bigger player, you know, for mostly US um, toys and games. And so it was a great fit. Uh, they were a great partner and it was a very smooth, uh, smooth exit. They didn't, they didn't pull any tricks or play any games. So uh, we definitely do, do that again with them. What's something you just can't live without? For this Shopify merchant, it's Zipify one-click upsell. $10 of extra revenue on every single order, 30% increase for us in average order value. You can't live without it as a Shopify store owner. What would be a game changer for your business? For this merchant, it's a simple Shopify app. Zipify one-click upsell. It's definitely a game changer. It's adding about $9 in extra revenue for every customer that we bring in. That's right. Our number one app that we've been using to help transform our business overall has been. Hey, oh, were you listening to that? You really wanna hear about this life-changing Shopify app? Here it is. One-click upsell. It's gonna help you increase your average order value a lot and increase your profit from your hard work. Zipify one-click upsell can increase your Shopify revenue by 10 to 15% overnight. Created by the owner of a $155 million brand and trusted by over 11,000 Shopify merchants, one-click upsell helps you boost your average order value with targeted upsells and cross-sells. It is no wonder one-click upsell has made its users an extra $316 million in sales. To start your free 30-day trial, go to zipify.com slash Kurt. That's Z-I-P-I-F-Y dot com slash K-U-R-T. And to get an unadvertised gift, email help at zipify.com and ask for the Tech Nasty bonus. Tech Nasty. So looking back on it, do you think you were right? Your success was in part because you were riding a trend because do you, do you think you would have been able to do this without Cards Against Humanity's success first? Yeah, no, I was riding a trend. And that's and I'll say that's also why I sold, because I feared that this was this adult, you know, game genre that had become very popular was maybe going to be not as popular <laughs> eventually. And, there, yeah, and I saw a lot of players entering the space also. Um, and so I just thought, you know, hey, let's uh, take the win here and uh, move on to the next thing. Is it? I see there is like an entire, its own industry of indie game publishing and like new mm -hmm. board games and card games that pop up regularly, um, especially the card games. And I suspect it, a, it's popular. It's also easy to manufacture has yep. now i have never attempted to manufacture either of these things mm -hmm. has it gotten easier over time like if i will if you wanted to do this today i bet it would be significantly easier for you uh well yes easier because i know what i'm doing now um uh, not easier to be successful so i'd say it's harder to be successful because of what you just described which is that markets become saturated and I think people caught on, you know, to um, how easy it is just to launch a box of cards, right? I mean, uh, there's just not a whole lot there. Uh, you need really good content to put on the cards, uh, but then the process of manufacturing the cards is quite easy. So uh, there's other intricacies in terms of distribution and, you know, actually selling it and things like that, but to, to get it started, it's never been easier. Um, but that's why it makes it harder to be successful at the same time. Absolutely. So if you had to do it today, would you use Kickstarter? I don't, I don't think so. 
Um, I think now seeing where Kickstarter's kind of find its niche is in the kind of heavier board, you know, board game styles, uh, more European styles, uh, like the Settlers of Catan, um, you know, that, that style of the game. Whereas for the quick and easy party games, I just don't think the audience is on Kickstarter, quite frankly. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think I would. Who do you think is on Kickstarter these days? Cause I could, I could, I used to back a whole bunch of stuff and I could tell you the last time I even looked at Kickstarter. Yeah. I mean, I think that we, we know, um, we, we launched a game together about a year ago. We were warned going into it that Kickstarter probably wasn't the right platform, even by Kickstarter. Um, yeah, they kind of said, listen, like here is our, here is our market. Our market is 20 to 40 year old guys. I mean, that's probably all of us here on this call, but they are, they are kind of geek centric. It's the guys looking for tech or heavy board game. So this is like the Euro style, intricate rules of, of board games. If you're looking, if you're launching a product where mom is the primary buyer, Kickstarter is not for you. Moms don't know Kickstarter. They don't know where to find Kickstarter. And it was true. We were warned. We knew going in. Our product got funded, but not nearly at the level we had hoped. I mean, it, it funded at the, the kind of bare minimum level we had, we had uh, put in. But uh, the reality is, if, if, you're if you're launching a product that is tech-centric, targeting 20 to 40-year-old dudes, Kickstarter might still be for you. Outside of that, I'd probably say no. I mean, Tim's game might have might still do well there, but I'd say even that, like, it is it is probably not rule heavy enough for this audience. Yeah, I think my issue with Kickstarter now is you know the past Kickstarter was like it kickstarted businesses and and it was an entrepreneurial platform. And I thought it, it was really cool, and today it really it feels like it's been more overrun by people who the business is launching kickstarters period and it's like we launch the product we sell it out and then we move on to the next thing and the next thing and it, like that works that's a business i think it just changed changed the nature of what you would use kickstarter for it's true and once you have one that works really well you can use that momentum for other products and you see that with exploding kittens you know they came into kickstarter they already had this built-in audience with the oatmeal and then they right. use that audience to leverage a really successful Kickstarter. Now every Kickstarter they launch, they're able to tap into that same audience over and over and over again. Makes a ton of sense that for them to keep doing it over and over again. But for Tim and I, with our products that have just barely hit thresholds on Kickstarter, we don't have that audience to tap into every time. And that's, yeah, I think that's the other big difference. And now like that's what levels the playing field. It's who has the audience, right? And that's part of target's attraction you know when you had those calls was like this guy has an existing audience and so they know that there will be some level of built-in success there where people will go to the store to seek it out um and that that seems to be at least in my experience which is probably uh, quite biased um that that's more what retailers are looking for now every like publishers retailers they want they're looking as much at the product as the audience yeah, I think we, you know, the new thing that we found success with is because you can control your own destiny now with e-commerce, selling direct to consumer, both via your own Shopify website and Amazon, you can get those same social proof data points that the buyers are looking for that, you know, Kickstarter is great because it's, it's so public. It's very obvious if something is successful. Um, and there's social proof built into it. Yes. 
And, but you can find something similar with Amazon, right? You get the reviews going, see the number of reviews. I know there's software out there that they can look at to see just what kind of sales you're likely doing if they don't have the exact numbers. So that's become, Amazon really has kind of become the new breeding ground. You know, back in the day, it was mm. like, it was, it was the mom pop kind of one-off onesie twosie um, specialty toy and game stores. So you'd have to do a couple of years of sales to, the, to them to build up that track record then take it to the bigger players, you know, selling to Kickstarter came along that, 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 you know, just escalated the, the time period of like how quickly you could get into working with them. Amazon, same thing, right? So now that has become where these bigger retailers they're they have teams, you know, just searching on Amazon, looking for what's trending, what's working, et cetera. And then that's leading to a lot of, you know, these, these new, you know, products that you're seeing brought into stores. And so jumping forward to new products, you too have, have joined forces again, and you are working on something related to pickleball. Yeah, this is the irony of it all is that we've climbed that mountain. We've seen how hard it all is and we've decided to do it again. Um, I think it's just one can't of those stay away. things. You like, you can't <laughs> stay away. You just forget how hard it was. And so you just get drawn back in. Um, you know, Tim and I, we, we spend a lot of our days just looking for opportunities for trends. Pickleball came by us organically. I got into it myself. I play pickleball four or five times per week. I played it for five and a half hours yesterday. Um, so it's just sort of this passion of mine that I've been very tapped into for the last call it two and a half years. I've just known about it, watched it. I've been part of these Facebook groups um, and so I, I knew that that was a booming sport and it actually is the fastest growing sport in North America right now. And before I call you, you highlighted one of the reasons is that we've got all of these unused tennis courts in these parks. And so, you know, you drive by, you drive by my local park and there are, there are six tennis courts never being used, almost never being used. And then you drive to these pickleball courts and they're jam packed. You're waiting in line to play. And so I think these city governments are seeing that and they're converting tennis courts into pickleball courts because they're wanting to bring communities together. And so, you know, this massive trend, we, we see this and we're like, well, there's something here. Like, do we want to jump right in and be in the smack dab in the middle of the pickleball space? You know, do we want to be another paddle manufacturer, another whatever it is? I mean, God, I'll say it is a gold rush to, to pickleball right now. And most of them are going after paddles. You know, there's not much else to do in pickleball. It's either a paddle, a net, or a ball. And paddles, paddles are the ones that make the most sense. And so there are call it 40 companies right now making paddles. We didn't want to do that. We wanted to do something a little bit different. This is the first time we've brought up pickleball on the show. Just define for us, for the lay people, what the heck is pickleball? Yeah, it's like tennis and ping pong got married and had a baby. Uh, it's like a shrunken down version of tennis. You're playing with a an oversized version of a ping pong paddle and you're playing with a wiffle ball. So it's a plastic ball with the holes in it and uh, you can play singles and it's fun to play singles, but most people play doubles. The biggest attraction of pickleball, I think, is that it is the serve where tennis requires the overhead serve and you're hitting as hard as you can. And most of them don't go in at the amateur level. And so it's just serving, missing, serving, missing. And then finally you get it in and then you play a little bit. Well, pickleball, it's an underhand serve, and almost all serves go in. 
And so it just opens the playing field for a broader range of ages. And I'd especially say the, the senior um, range where seniors can get in, play pickleball, do the underhand serve and be able to play quickly and easily. It's also a much smaller court. So the ground you have to cover is much smaller. So that's a quick and dirty overview of pickleball. This episode was brought to you by the team at Rewind, a trusted Shopify app since 2015. If you're a Shopify partner, join leading agencies like Milk Bottle Labs, Velstar, and Mac Digital Designs, and more in the Rewind Agency Partner Program. You can earn up to $2,000 for recommending Rewind to your clients, and you can rest easy knowing that the hard work you've done for your clients is protected. If you're a merchant, feel confident and enjoy peace of mind that your store is always safe with automated backups. It's like having your very own magic undo button. Learn more by looking up Rewind in the Shopify app store or visit rewind.com. Best of all, visit rewind.com slash Kurt Elster and get a 30-day free trial. So it, it's at the theme here, I heard trend a lot. And the, the theme here, and we know like pickleball is, certainly is on trend. Is it a happy coincidence where you saw the overlap of this? I'm interested, in, I'm, I'm interested in this genuinely and I see it's a trend. So now I know there's opportunity here. Or are you your plumbing trends or just after years of experience, it's like a natural uh, sense drive and instinct for you where you're just recognizing opportunities that fit you? Yeah, I think it's uh, well, I used to in my role over the retail chain of stores was to see new concepts. And so I was being pitched thousands of concepts per year. And I'd say over the course of 10 years of running that business, my antenna got really good at recognizing good games, good opportunities. And so I, we're trying to apply kind of that antenna to future opportunities. And so, yes, we see the pickleball trend. Yes, every park I drive by now has a group of kids out playing spike ball. And so we're like, all right, this outdoor game space is booming. And it is, it is booming. It's one of the fastest growing categories in toys and games right now. Uh, I think COVID helped. It was people looking for things to do outside um, so it spiked this category and we thought, all right, well, there's an opportunity. So Tim and I were already thinking about this. We we're thinking, well, what is it? What's this marriage of these concepts? And it, because I have been in the role of considering concepts, people are, are still constantly coming to me with their ideas and saying, will you evaluate it and tell me if it's good? Well, I was put in touch with an inventor who happens to be from the same state I live in, Utah. And, you know, most of the time, honestly, most of the time, these ideas are bad. Um, you know, they'll show them to me and, you know, it's always the same pitch. I've played it with friends and family. My friends and family love this game. Can't wait to show it to you. I've already That's spent how 30 started with utter nonsense. He's like, well, it, this is what we play. You know, a little bit, although like Tim, <laughs> Tim did it slightly differently. Um, we can get into how he did it differently and then how we're doing it differently this time. But, you know, friends and family are the worst validation you can get. Um, you know, they can help you work through rules. They can help you work through. But going to friends and family and asking, this is like going to your mom and saying, do you like this thing I've made, mom? Now, mom loves you. Mom's going to say, yes, absolutely. I love what you made. Um, and so, you know, we're very cautious about that. And when an inventor pitches me a concept and says their friends and family love it, I'm my, my, red flag. my red flags go up. And so this inventor, it was almost the first thing he said to me is, I've been playing this for two years with friends and family. They love it. But I was like, all right, it's still worth seeing. So here's the, here's the cool story. This guy, Joe, Joe's a dad of, of seven kids. He's got six sons and they play spike ball, but Joe couldn't keep up with him in spike ball. 
it's just like these teenage kids were just too good. They're jumping all over, and it was just a game joke and no longer play with them. Um, they all they started to get into pickleball, but it was like 20 minutes to the nearest court, and it was jam-packed all the time. And Joe, he's a structural engineer, and he's like, all right, listen, I'm going to use my engineering brain. I'm going to come up with something. And so he started kind of fiddling with with plastics in his garage. He was using a router, and he started gluing all this stuff together, and he created this marriage of, of pickleball and spike ball. And then he kind of took it out to his kids. They started playing it. They refined it. And really over two years, refined it. And it got to kind of a really good state by the time I saw it. I went up to his house, played it, and I was like, you know what? Like, actually, there is something real here. And so, I mean, I immediately got on the call, a call with Tim. Like, Tim is Tim is my go-to guy. I think we work really well together. I work well in a partnership. And so Tim's kind of my sanity check on this stuff. So I was like, Tim, I think we've got something. Like, you should take a look at it. Tim's like, I'm flying out. And literally, like, I think a week later, he was out in Utah, and we're testing it in my backyard. We're testing it in my brother-in-law's backyard. And so we're getting all this sort of, like, good validation, but still not sure. And then we decided to take it to the local pickleball courts. Um, and I'd say, like, here's the big lesson um, that I've learned over the course of, of, of testing ideas is if you pitch an idea and say, this is my idea to a group of people and ask him what do they think, they're almost always going to give you feedback that is false positive. People do, not like, people do not like to tell you your idea is bad. And so what we did is we went down to the local pickleball courts. It, we set this thing up outside of the courts and it was like flies to honey. People were stopping mid-game, coming up to the fence and looking through, coming over, trying it out with us. But we were pitching it as, hey, listen, we make games for a living. This random inventors brought us this concept. We don't know if this is good or not. Help us evaluate this thing. And so we had no personal affiliation with it in that pitch. And then people were giving us honest feedback. You know, they were trying it out. They were giving us, you know, constructive criticism. But it was good enough. I mean, one guy loved it so much, he drove home and brought his son back to play. He was like, I have to show it to him. We walked away from that, like feeling like we had gotten a true sample, um, true feedback. And it was so positive that we're like, all right, we got to go with this thing. You can go to a public space where people play outdoor games, whether like it's a beach, it's a field, it's a park, um, and find people who like well, you, you find your audience and say, "Hey, check this out." And I love that idea of you know being careful to not tell them it's your idea and then ask for the feedback because you're right; they don't want to offend you about your. No one's going to tell you you have an ugly baby, right? Yeah, <laughs> like you, that that person probably uh, you know you don't want this. A Larry David type giving you feedback. But if you don't tell them it's yours, they'll give you more honest feedback. And so, all right, this guy says, like, I've got this idea. You liked his rationale. You know it's on trend. You see, you guys, all right, absolutely, we think there's something here. You both play it. You like it. You love it. You're like, all right, let's go see what the people think. And the fact that people are, like, immediately interested upon seeing it, and it's like you have your target market right there, which is so fabulous, um, and then they're willing to give you feedback on it, was that all the validation you needed to, to move forward? It was. Yep. So, I mean, I think there's just a couple of years of experience just having seen like Scott in particular, uh, that's what he did for a living for 10 years was look at, look at concepts. So he has a really fine tuned, um, you know, antenna, like he was saying for seeing what's good and what, and what, and what's garbage. Um, so that's why, and, and I'm fairly skeptical uh, as well. 
And, uh, but when he said that, when he first called me, that's very rare. Cause he, he, you know, he, he, he's also very skeptical. And so when he was like, I think there's something here, I was like, got it. And so, um, between us playing it, us liking it, this kind of story, getting to know Joe a little bit, uh, talking to some of his neighbors that have been playing it and then ultimately bring, you know, bringing it to the pickleball courts and getting that like pure on you know, uninhibited feedback or whatever with just zero back knowledge of who we are or this game prior just it felt like really raw data that we were getting um and it was overwhelmingly positive so all those factors you know just kind of led us to be like all right let's move forward what are we calling our our pickleball meets spike ball slash round net game it's called paddle smash in pickleball the downward shot is a smash shot and it's everyone's favorite shot. It's the shot we all screw up over and over. You know, it's the one you feel like you should never miss and you miss probably half of your shots. So that's the smash. And the way our game is built, you know, there, there was one thought we were like, you know, why not just use a, why not just use a spike ball net and, and pickleball paddles and a pickleball and just play off of that net. We experimented with that. And it was like, you'd hit that pickleball into that net. It would fly a mile into the air. Like there was just no containing the game. And so, you know, our, our big mission here was to capture some of the magic of, of pickleball. And that magic is it's accessible to a broader range of ages. You know, our lesson from, from the inventor was spike ball is hard for older adults to play. So can we create a game that is easier for families to play together? And so our whole, our whole mission throughout this process was to create a game that was more contained, that didn't send the ball flying a mile into the air or a mile out. And so we have a net system and we have a plastic base. The plastic base absorbs the shot. So it keeps it from bouncing a mile into the air. The net system requires you to hit downward rather than a side shot. A side shot without a net system would be unreturnable. And so that downward shot then pops that up into the air and keeps the ball in play. We now, we have 30 shot rallies where you're just going back and forth. So the idea here is you've got you know, you can play it one-on-one, -on -one, you can play it with three, but the best way to play our game is to play it two versus two. And you're standing opposite your teammate, you're serving it to them. As soon as the ball gets into play, a team has three shots to get it back into the court. And so you're bump set and smashing it back into the court. A legal shot hits that base and clears the net. And then the other team has three shots to get it back into the court. So it's a little bit of that volleyball spike ball kind of three shots to get it back in and you're working with your teammate to get it back in and so god we 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 recognize that like this has been proven by other games so can we leverage just sort of the similar rule set into our game but make it so it's more family accessible that was our mission i think like we still weren't quite sure if we had nailed that mission we got our final factory prototypes I don't know, a month or so ago. And I've been out, kind of out hitting the circuit. I've got a sunburn on my forehead right now because I was on Saturday spending an entire day at a community fair demonstrating this product. And it was just like over and over. It was parents coming up with kids and I'd be like, everyone come in and play. And we'd start to play. There was like a couple minutes of, we can't do this thing. This is kind of hard. And then it would click. And then like everyone was loving it. And so I think we just like, we nailed that mission of making a family-friendly version of these games that are so popular. I can't buy this now. This is an 
uh, available for pre-order. This is obviously it's coming soon. You've got a, a final factory prototype. We're moving forward with this. How are you going to get the word out there? How are you going to launch this thing? I'm going to guess it's not Kickstarter this time. <laughs> um, no, I mean, admittedly, this is, uh, you know, one of the reasons we're on your podcast, Kurt. Uh, you know, so we are, you know, talking to some um, different podcasters and, and trying to get the word out there. We also are going to be doing, you know, social media advertising. So we've engaged with an agency who uh, we feel very confident with, despite everything you're hearing right now with the struggles of advertising on social media, specifically Instagram um, and, you know, Google, uh, that's still going to be a good channel for us. We just feel like the buyer in our situation is it's, it's probably that mom, you know, that mom of like teenage kids uh, that's looking for something that they can all do as a family. And that mom largely still lives on Facebook and Instagram. And so this is this is the theory we have. This is also, you know, we're living in, you're living and breathing it with us right now is that we're going to test this out in a few weeks. Um, obviously, you know, we, we hear the same things that you do with TikTok is all the rage. Um, and we plan on having, you know, a, a strategy for TikTok as well uh, to be getting in, in front of some of the younger audience. Um, and then, you know, Amazon. And so we'll be launching on Amazon as, along with our Shopify website. And uh, to start out, that's that's basically it. You know, we've got social media, Shopify, Amazon, and uh, just going to start getting the word out there. So we're still going back to the that traditional DTC product launch playbook. We're going to make it ourselves. We're going to sell it direct. You've invented a new game here. So this is a fair, it is a new, um, a semi-new category, right? It like overlaps into some other things. So on trend. And then so we're going to use social media to get awareness out there. We know our buyer um, is, you're right, it, 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 it's often mom who makes the the purchase decision on like, here is a family activity that will get my kids off screens and outside. That's like a, a consistent theme and need we see with outdoor games um, and, and similar things. And then you know, at the same time, you also want that, that TikTok strategy because yeah, no one leaves TikTok. Like that's kind of the catch. No, they stay on TikTok. They don't go in like an in-app browser like you would see with Instagram, but it kills for brand awareness. And so then when you have that combo, uh, now suddenly you have created that luck sale again, where it's like all these touch points and all you need is that person who happens to have seen it in two, maybe three places and is in that position where they go, I would love to play this with my kids and get them outside. And now you've got that sale. And like it, we're and you're launching it going into Q4. I think it's brilliant. I, you know, knock on wood, I absolutely believe uh, you're going to see some success here. And certainly you've got, got the experience behind you as well. And, and Scott's finally tuned radar. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I hope so. You never know until people have to part with their money, whether you've got a viable product. Uh, you know, we are still, we're still cautious about it. We only ordered a thousand units to start. Um, when, you know, we, we could have ordered 10,000 and just said, let's go for it. Ordered, ordered a thousand. Um, it's sort of the minimum viable test this fall is this is a soft launch. We are going to test a bunch of things and figure out what works best. And then to Tim's point of spreading out your surface area of luck, just you don't know who's going to see what you're doing. It's, you know, it's kind of amazing how this works. We're pre-launch. We don't have any product out there in the marketplace. And already through just a few social media posts, we've reached a buyer of a chain of, of stores that like would be awesome for us to get into. 
somehow they found us through that through that network of, of posts. I don't know. We need to find out why. We also reached a guy that's starting a whole chain of pickleball meets restaurant concepts. Um, you know, he's going to be opening a bunch of these across the U.S. He came across a Facebook post. He's searching for pickleball and he gets served our video. Um, and so it's just like we're just at the beginning stages of this. But what we do know is we've got a product that looks great on video. It's tons of fun to watch and can be explained in three seconds. It's pickleball meets round net. You say those two things to most people or pickleball meets spike ball. You say those two things to most people and they go, okay, I get it. And so, you know, I think it is a good lesson here is if you're going to launch a, whole, a brand new product, make sure you've got anchor points that are familiar to people that they can then go, okay, I get what it is. I get this mashup that you're doing. I mean, it helps also that a product looks so good on video that like that TikTok strategy, just watching people play is a ton of fun. So that's kind of our hope is that we'll see. We don't know, but we believe that there's an opportunity here. And if there is, we'll, we'll know soon. And then the plan would be a big, huge launch in the spring with retail partners and still direct to consumer and a lot more inventory. And so this initial launch, this is we're looking for, we're really, we're validating um, and like really starting to lay the groundwork on word of mouth. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's test and learn and start to build awareness. This is where you, we're trying to improve our chances of success in brick and mortar retail. What we don't want to do is throw it straight into brick and mortar retail and then just cross our fingers and hope that people will find it and get it and understand. If you spend the first six months building an awareness and a little bit of a campaign around it, and then you put it into retail, there's at least a base layer of awareness that you've helped build. So I love the fact that even after years of uh, serial success and learnings, you left and returned to entrepreneurship to see this product through because you've got this this sense of like this isn't this is an exciting product. This is this was someone's idea in their baby, bored out of a pain that couldn't keep up with with round ball spike ball, um, and and came up with this thing that you through years of experience with product development went that's a winner. And I want to back that. And now we're, we're carefully and systematically going through validating it, driving awareness, selling it and doing it in like a really sane, safe, bootstrapped way. So I really, I, I appreciate that approach. Uh, I, we want to get one. Where do we get one? Tell us how, just give me, give me the, the URL, the toys. I want it. Yeah, so we're, we're currently available uh, for pre-order at paddlesmash.com. Um, it's also going to be available on Amazon uh, shortly. So as of right now, those are the, the two places that it can be found, paddlesmash.com and, and then Amazon. Scott, anything to add? Yeah, I think just, you know, we, I don't know when this podcast is going to air, um, but we, we are looking to launch this in early September. We're expecting our inventory to arrive. So be looking for it live on our site and on Amazon early September. I hope you've sold out of those first 1,000 by the end of the month. I got faith. Tim Swindle, Scott Brown, Paddle Smash. Get it, paddlesmash.com or Amazon. Thank you so much for sharing your journey with us. Thanks, Kurt. It was great. I appreciate it. 
E-commerce marketing is changing. Email is no longer the only way to build relationships with customers. SMS is now the fastest growing sales channel for online brands. And if you haven't gotten started yet, I know what you might be thinking. My customers don't want to receive text messages. Or, I don't think I could drive ROI with SMS. But here's the thing, SMS is where you find your best customers. You don't need to have thousands of SMS contacts to drive meaningful revenue. And merchants see up to a 250% increase in engagement and conversion rates when they pair email and SMS together. Tax marketing is here to stay, my friends. And Privy is the fastest way to get started. Privy gives you access to all the tools you need to grow your SMS list and send money-making text messages. Plus, their full suite of website conversion and email marketing tools. And the cherry on top? You'll get one-on-one -on -one coaching and support no matter where you start with Privy. Ready to get started or just learn more? Go check out Privy on the Shopify App Store and see how you can get started for free today.